Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. Welcome to the show. It's brought to you with Levi Solicitors. 10% discount on your legal fees. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan. With me, Michael Normanton. Hello. So is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. If you're not yet subbed to TSB Plus, you can get the full TSB package, the full experience, all in one. You get a full digital sub to the magazine, a daily email with all the essential Leeds United news from Moscow, and every single one of our podcasts ad-free, including early access to the match ball and our subscriber-only podcast, The Extra Ball. Uh, this week, we've done a Q&A on that, which includes such thrilling questions as what's your favourite cheese, which it's a lot, no, be- lot better than it sounds. No spoilers. If you want details of that, then the squareball.net forward slash plus. Hey, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the new propaganda podcast. We've spun that one off from this main show, and it's now a show of its own right. So if you want to have a listen to that, what they've been saying about Leeds, both Leeds fans and opposition fans, find that one in the same place that you found this one. It's on the same feed just before this. Well, far too many of these are happening, particularly over the last 12 months. Another legend uh, has gone, Peter Lorimer. We knew this was coming due to uh, his illness and his movement to a hospice, but um, died at the age of 74. 705 appearances for Leeds United over two spells and the club's all-time record goal scorer. Not a bad record. Wasn't even a striker. Normally, if you talk about record goal scorers, I don't know who holds the records at many other clubs, but Dixie Dean or Ian Rush, centre forward, goal after goal after goal, played on the wing. And the number of goals he scored, 238, compared to... Alan Clark, who did come a, a couple of years after Lorimer had started in the team, but Clark scored 151. So it's not even close. Clark might have got more if Lorimer passed to him instead of just absolutely bollocking the ball in from 40 yards every chance he got. But it's an extraordinary record. I mean, I'm too young to remember it much from the 80s, but I do feel glad now looking back on it that I got to see Peter Lorimer play in his second stint at the club. I mean, I know he was sort of chugging around a little bit in his uh, mid to late 30s, but he looked in far better shape than, than I did in my mid to late 30s. His span is just ridiculous. When you look at the plays he played with on his debut and the plays he was playing with at the end, it seems to be about five different eras of football somehow encapsulated in it. And to go back to the 238 goals, I don't personally think that will ever be beaten. No, and there won't be a player. Well, maybe players are getting younger in some ways, aren't they? Like Jude Bellingham's doing all kinds of bits at a young age, but 15 is ridiculously young to be playing. And it would have to be a very special player that you think you're 15 years old. You put Is it even legal putting an actual schoolboy <laughs> into a football team now? There's probably safeguards around that weren't there at the uh, in 1962. I suspect that given the way that the academy system is now and with you're not allowed to sign pro contracts until a particular age, are you are scholarship contracts, that they probably wouldn't even do it these days for risk of getting exposure of that player and another academy stealing them. What if Man United have put a briefcase with five grand inside on your doorstep? Would that pass? That's not something I think they've ever done, so we should just probably say that very clearly up front. Well, no, it's the story with uh, Peter Lorimer that they they were offering five grand and the story goes that there was a, a briefcase with the Manchester United logo on the front was left in the kitchen for the Lorimers to consider that and that's when Don Reavy, they phoned him up and said, Mr. Reavy, we've been offered this and Reavy got in his car and drove Hell for leather and got the last ferry and signed him that night two thirty because they um they liked the way Leeds did things they weren't going to be swayed by these Man United lot throwing money about they wanted a and I'm sure Man United were in the first division at that point so they were turning down top flight Manchester United 
because um, they didn't like the way they did it. I know Eddie Gray tells a similar story of being signed. I just like the idea that managers would just have to jump in cars and drive up to speak to the parents. It's a very different way to the way things are done now, you imagine. Mind you, Bielsa uh, was inspecting Pochettino's legs in the, exactly. middle, in the middle of the night or whatever. I, I need to look at your son's legs again. Not something you'd necessarily get away with these days. But yeah, I mean, it's good that we can look back on Lorimer's legacy in a positive way as well now, because I know a lot of what we do here was born out of the era of being really pissed off with Ken Bakes. It's why we took on the fanzine. Um, and the podcast started about a year after that in the wake of the uh, the Man United game, January 3rd, but even still a fairly dismal time. And I think Lorimer's association with that Bates era and the YEP column tarnished his legacy to a certain extent at that time, but now another sort of decade on or whatever we are as he's passed. And it, you know, it feels like he's far too young to be going even at 74 that it's faded into irrelevance now, hasn't it? It doesn't matter. I think that's the thing. It's, when we were living through that period, it was very difficult, but things are fine now, aren't they? And Peter Lorimer scored 238 goals for us, so in the grand scheme of things, what does it really matter? What I guess you'd say, what would Leeds United be without Lorimer and that team that he played in? And what has happened since was, it was essentially a result of him needing some money. I mean, looking at the, the modern examples on the top scorers list, people like Becchio and Beckford scored all their goals for us in League One in the Championship. Financially speaking, they're fine. They're not going to need to take unless they mess something up, they're not going to need to take a job at the age Peter Lorimer was taking that job and trying to earn a few quid that way. They are just millionaires probably at this yeah. stage in their life and it's different eras, isn't it? And, and and it's an opportunity to take a salary and have a job with the club that you love and that you're so closely associated with as well. So despite that being Ken Bates, I mean, word has it that he was a very good boss and he looked after the people um, at Leeds United. He was very kind to them and very generous, but obviously if you crossed him and you were outside, as we saw that, you got on the wrong side of him, then um, things are a little bit different. But looking back on it now, don't blame Lorimer at all for having a job with the club. And while I might not have agreed with some of the things that he said, it's irrelevant now, really. And my overriding feeling about that whole era is that actually Ken Bates and League One and all those difficult times, while they dragged on for a decade and a half, will hopefully just be a footnote in what is a, a much broader story than that, a story that goes back to, to Reeves Leeds and beyond. It all fits as part of the the story, though, because we can sometimes, in retrospect, over-romanticise football back in the day, and we have the stories of the moments that we treasure. Paul Madeley's contract is one that, that comes to mind where he, he handed a blank piece of paper to Jimmy Arnfield and said, just fill in the numbers, all I want to do is play for Leeds, and you have that kind of assumption that all the Revy team were like that, that they were so devoted to the club. Peter Lorimer has the story in his um, autobiography of how he refused to sign a new contract at Leeds unless he got £200 a week. And Don Revy would only give him 196 And they were going around each other's houses all summer arguing about four quid a week until eventually somebody brought him to his senses. A friend of Peter Lorimer said, look, don't you realise what Don's doing? He's making sure you know who's in charge. But Lorimer always had that kind of, I used the words when I was writing about him in the square wall, belligerence. And I used it in a real positive sense because you have to be belligerent to think I've got Alan Clark there, as I said before. Alan Clark could have had another 50 goals if Peter Lorimer wasn't such a deadly shot. And it's kind of, the, if you think about the way you play football, just in general, what's the most sensible thing to do when you're trying to win a football match, get the ball as close to the other team's goal as possible and give it to the striker who is really good at putting the ball into the net. If you can get the ball to the six-yard box and Alan Clark is there, fine. And Leeds had the players to do that. We could always get the ball into the six-yard box and Alan Clark will pop it in the net and you win everything. Lorimer, as the ball at his feet, looks at all those players and thinks, no, actually, I'll do this. And to be able to do it, it's, it's, it's the ability is what's extraordinary but then to marry that to the confidence, to be able to carry that out again and again and again, and not every goal he scored was 30 yards, 40 yards out, but a huge number of them. And it's what people remember about him. And when um, Phil Hay had the article about talking to goalkeepers who faced him, who hated it because they never knew if he was going to shoot or not, and having that doubt in your mind and knowing that if you did shoot, it would be on target, it would be 90 miles an hour, and it would probably go in. There was a a real interesting moment on Radio 5 on Saturday when they had Ian Dennis, who commentated with Peter Lorimer on Radio Leeds in the 90s, and Eddie Gray, who knew him since they were 
kids together and all the way through in the rooms together. And Ian Dennis said that um, Peter Lauren was always very humble. And Eddie Gray, who is such a diplomat in every circumstance, said, well, he was, but he was very self-confident. And that's why he was humble, because he didn't have to boast because he knew how good he was. And as a footballer, when you talk about individuals in a team and the player who kind of does their own thing, you, you think about, you would think Eddie Gray would be the individual in that team because he can dribble around players and he can keep the ball and he can do back heels and he, like the goal against Burnley where he can beat six and put it in. But there's not really much more individual than a player whose game is pretty much all about kicking the ball out of play. Because if the ball goes in the net and the referee whistles, blows, the game has to stop and you all have to run over to Peter Lorimer and congratulate him and say, what a great goal you've just scored. So it's almost it's almost like a kind of anti-football where somebody is just absolutely hammering the ball into the goal every time and it means that nobody else gets a touch. Like you just have to stand up, oh, you've just scored. Well, I was, you know, I was running down here to, to do a cross and you've just, you've, and now the game's stopped and now we have to go and get the ball back and then we can put it down and now they've got the ball. We've not got possession anymore. All right, we've, we've, we've got a goal. And then you have to go, well, we have got a goal. And it's interesting. I think that's why fans will love Peter Lorimer so much. You watch him is because what you want and what we often talk about when we talk about what's been lost with VAR is that moment, the celebration and, you know, the knowing that the ball's gone in and it's the, the limbs going off. And Lorimer would just give you that. And you never really get that out of, I know we kind of like to scratch our chins and go like, oh yes, that 20 pass build-up was fantastic. But what you really want is like the goal... Um, he made for himself against Man City that I think is better than Yeboah's where he kicks the ball up into the air over two defenders and it drops and he's 35 yards out at the same end and volleys it into the same top corner off the same crossbar although they have moved the pitch moved up and down a little bit in the meantime but it's all individual and it's all him and he he was the one kind of player at Leeds who I think stood out on his own a little bit from everybody else didn't really if you read his autobiography he's not very nice about Alan Clark. He says he, he found him unfathomable off the pitch. He couldn't really get his head around him as a person. And he was Billy Bremner's best mate. And then when Billy Bremner takes over at Leeds, Johnny Giles, who always got on with Peter Lorimer, probably the best, and had him out in Canada to play for Vancouver. Johnny Giles phones him up when Billy Bremner takes over and says, I think you know what's coming, don't you? Are, you? are you packing your bags yet? And he's like, oh, well, let's see what happens. And he goes in and apparently Billy's funny with him for a while. And then eventually he goes and says, well, what's the story? And Billy Bremner says, I want you out of the club. And never really explained it, just said, I want you out. And there was always a bit of, they never really, it said for the rest of their lives, they kind of, they would joke together and be pals, but Peter was always like, why did you do that? And the, so there's always been that strain in Lorimer that meant that when there was the, the time that we were dealing with his YEP columns and being on the board with Bates, that it kind of, he was very much in his character to be right. Whereas Eddie Gray at the time was kind of, uh, Again, the archdeacon might say, well, and I can remember Eddie Gray saying things like this as well. You know, the chairman has his opinions and uh, some of the fans don't like what he says, but he's running the club and you've just got to hope that the way he's going about things, that's going to bring success because that's what we all want. The fans and Ken Bates, we all want a successful Leeds United. And you go, oh yeah, that's well done, Eddie. But then Lorimer would be every week, he'd be like, look, Ken Bates is right and the fans need to accept it. And he'd be like, whoa, this is, bit, but it's, you know, it's the mark of somebody who would just batter a ball into a net at 90 miles an hour. And if he didn't do that, if he wasn't like that, he wouldn't be the player he was. He wouldn't be the person he was. And you've got to celebrate who he was all the way through because what it ended up doing, 238 goals, take those out of leads. There's no way of recording his assists. The number of times he did cross for Alan Clark, the number of times he did pass to Mick Jones that must have made you know, what? how many of Alan Clark's 150 goals came from a, a Peter Lorimer pass? It just becomes extraordinary. And he was probably, when Tommy Doherty took him back into the Scotland team because he was banned for life for playing for Scotland because he'd gone on a tour of South Africa in 1969. But then Tommy Doherty took over in 1972 and said, Peter Lorimer's the best player in the world and we have to get him back into this team. Forget your ban and brought him back because that's how good he thought he was. And I think because he kind of has that weird role of being out on the wing, cutting inside, shooting, and that's what he's known for. His overall play doesn't get looked at as much. His highlights reel is always just all those net busters going in one after the other. But all the things he could do, the confidence he had to do them, the attitudes he had that he was going to, you know, be paid what he's worth, 
be everything he, he should be. Even at 15, when he, after he'd made his debut and he was out the team again, he says in his autobiography, I don't know why I wasn't in the team. <laughs> he's 15 years old. He's, and he says, not to be unkind to players like Jim Story and other players in the team at the time, but I thought I was better than them. And I was. Yeah. It's like that, and this is a 15, 16 year old. He's remembering himself at the time saying, you know, it's ludicrous that a 16 year old boy should be playing professional football. Not to Peter Lorimer. He thought he should have been there from the, the day he was born, really, that, and it's kind of that self-assuredness is just—it's ridiculous for for a fifteen-year-old. But I know what you're saying, like, but without the belligerence and the single-mindedness, you can't be a virtuoso. You can't be brilliant in that way. And I think a lot of the Leeds players had it, but some of them they expressed it in in different ways. And I think those years when he he wasn't getting into the team because he was 23 before Don Revie finally sort of said stopped him being a substitute. If you look through the old team sheets, he he was playing. Like 25 games a season when other players were playing, like Norman Hunter was just 46, would, wouldn't miss a game if he was fit. But Lauren was, he's number 12, he's a substitute, he's coming on and Michael Grady played on the wing and well, how's it going to work? And then he was used as a bit of a striker, but then Alan Clark got signed and he's thinking, well, and it was Lauren who was the, the player in the late 60s before we started winning things, when people started saying this Leeds team are never going to do anything. Reeve's got to change things, buy other players, sell some of these go and get Alan Ball was one of the, the plans and whoever else. And it was always Lorimer kind of like, Nottingham Forest will take him, £100,000, and then you can do some other stuff with the team. And it got to 23 before it kind of was the, the, the decision that no, Michael Grady gets sold. Alan Clark is the striker and Lorimer will play on the wing. And that's the classic team starts then. But I think because he didn't then have the, the feeling that others had, he didn't have the debt to rebuild that others had. He always had the, the idea that this was the guy not putting me in the team. The relationship there is kind of different and he's not as, uh, yeah, he's, he's not as enthralled to the story of the Reeves team as others. His, his autobiography is, is a very realistic and probably too honest book and different to the stories that a lot of the other players tell. And I think it's, always, it's important, as we're remembering Peter Lorimer, to remember he was different. He did stand apart that, that the, the Reeve team we do look at them all as um, this kind of, because they were a family, there's this one thing where the the example of Paul Maley's contract before is kind of the best of them where we look at yeah, them all. It's, it's treated as a homogenous mass, isn't it? But they were individuals yeah, yeah. and they argued like fuck. You which, know. which you would in any great team, Yes, to be fair. Mind you, um, Tom Road uh, puts a slant on this. He sent me an email, did Tom, just explaining what his connection to Peter Lorimer was. And I think this will probably resonate with a lot of people particularly because as Tom flags up, he said his dad is Norwegian. And we'll know that we know that a lot of our fans from Scandinavia became attached to the club through the Revy era and then passed it on to their children. And he's saying, my dad's Norwegian and for one of our close friends' 70th birthdays, his dad bought him a lead shirt to send over to Norway. So they popped into the commercial inn, which is still there, by the way, in Holbeck, which is Lorimer's pub. So the, the whole world around it is getting redeveloped at the minute. There's a lot of demolition going on, but that still stands there, albeit boarded up at the minute. It will no doubt be gentrified and start doing uh, gastro pub food and stuff like that in, in due course when all of Holbeck's finished. But it is still there, is the commercial in. Saying so they just popped in on a Tuesday afternoon and obviously a smattering of people in there, including the man himself. And you kind of walk in and just there's that whole starstruck feeling of seeing a club legend in the flesh and they nervously ordered a drink and explained to him, I've just bought this shirt for a big Leeds fan in Norway. And they're then chatting about the Scandinavian fans and he's expressing, you know, thanks for the dedication of those who travel over for every game. So, yeah, I'll, I'll sign your shirt, of course, which then becomes an unforgettable birthday gift. It, it notches it up, you know, several um, several levels. And he was dead down to earth, says Tom. No airs and graces, just pottering about behind the bar in corduroy trousers, almost like a fan who just watched the odd Leeds game on the telly, never mind, you know, 700 games. And just as they're leaving, Tom says, his dad says, is there any food being served? So Lorimer said, I'll see what I can do. So he potted into the into the next room and then Peter Lorimer sort of pokes his head back around the kitchen door and says, uh, do you want mayonnaise or butter on your ham sandwich? Which I think is absolutely brilliant just to, to have Leeds' record goal scorer treat us with such humility and chat to us as if we were his mates was a really special memory and it's the most memorable ham sandwich he's ever had. And it's funny how that's going to stick, isn't it? Just that sandwich in the pub with, with the hero. There was, I can't give him credit, unfortunately, because I can't remember who it was, but there was a post on Wacko I read and it was saying that Someone had been in there essentially with all the Scandinavians because they all used to go into there because it was Lorimer's pub. It was in the League One days and saying how it was bizarre that they'd, it was basically a pub full of people 
there because of Peter Lorimer and then they all left and he was kind of finishing his drink and then Peter Lorimer came out from behind the bar and started tidying glasses up and sweeping up and it was said it was kind of weird that all these people had come to this place because of Peter Lorimer and then were going off to watch Bradley Johnson and Jason Crow <laughs> or however in, in League One while one of the greatest footballers of his generation stayed behind to sweep up peanuts. It's it's a strange thing of, of that era of player, isn't it? There was a nice story from one of the obituaries that mentioned that that time where um, Lorimer was quoted as saying he was he wished the fans were singing new songs. He was saying that the fact that we were still singing about Peter Lorimer and Billy Bremner 40 years after they played football, he said they need new players to sing songs about so that they can kind of, well, so they have something to celebrate now and so it's not always about us. And I think, I just want to be clear that, that kind of the, the, the tales of his, um, his kind of arrogance and his belligerence and, and that self-confidence I've never heard anybody say he's not a nice person, and it all it does all it all fits together with that kind of when you have that confidence, you get that self assured level. People like that are often very nice. It'll be when he's fucking Jack Charlton's winding him up in the the dressing rooms. That's when the fire comes out. Um, but it's uh, but off the pitch and to towards fans, even through the challenging times of the debates, board era, the. The perspective I think we always had was we want to argue with Ken Bates. We don't want to argue with Peter Lorimer because you are a legend at this football club. And to a lot of the people who were against uh, Ken Bates regarded Lorimer as a hero and it was very difficult. And you really wished you'd, you could have said, Peter, let us talk to Ken. Um, but he was never less than welcoming, kind um, and happy to be with Leeds United fans, which um, is exactly how it should have been. We all have our own cult heroes when it comes to Leeds United, but I would wager, in recent times anyway, that David Healy's up there as one who really made an impression. And Phil Hayes doing a bit on him this week, cult heroes. Also a piece on Bielsa's sales pitch to Athletic Bilbao when he got the job there 10 years ago in 2011. All sorts of brilliant writing, in-depth features on The Athletic and every single word that Phil Hay writes, you will find there. Of course, we do the podcast with him later on in the week so I'll be having a proper catch up with Phil reflections on Fulham and looking ahead to next season and the remainder of this one on the Phil Hay Show in the meantime if you want to experience Phil's writing sign up for The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash the square ball for a quid a month theathletic.com forward slash the square ball we're talking about footballers with self-confidence Frank Worthington I think had that in spades and we've found out this morning on the morning of recording this that he's passed away uh, at the age of 72, again, a long illness. Wasn't at Leeds for very long, but remembered pretty fondly. 35 games, 15 goals in 1982. Probably remembered for his lifestyle, if you speak to people uh, of that generation, as much as um, as his footballing ability. Stylish and suave, both on and off the field, I think. Of an era, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you look at his his career and he came to us, what you would normally say was late in his career, but then he went on for about another another six or seven years after leaving us despite being in his mid-30s. But yeah, he's um, he's one of those players who I obviously never saw him play, but he's people who did remember him well, don't they, for Leeds? Because I think he was he was interesting in an era when Leeds United was pretty terrible. We were talking a few weeks ago about the impact of Rafinha and the impact of Yeboah and players who don't necessarily play a lot of games. I mean, hopefully Rafinha will, but they have this incredible, memorable impact. And I think that's Frank Worthington. I mean, it was a terrible team he played in we were going down and he did his best to uh to liven things up and that was kind of his uh his impact wherever he went you know this guy with long hair tash he looked like he should be smoking a cigarette on a football pitch <laughs> i know that you know smoking isn't cool and kids shouldn't do it but it looks cool even if it isn't cool <laughs> it looks cool and you know frank worthington just like chipping the ball over his own shoulder spinning and volleying it in with a with a fag on the go, it kind of feels very in uh, very in character. I think it's best uh, encapsulated by this particular screen grab, and it comes from Paul Robinson on Twitter, uh, focus on Frank Worthington when he was at Bolton. And it's one of those standard player profiles that you used to see like in the 70s and 80s, you know, just like favourite food and, you know, favourite music, biggest influence on your career. Previous clubs, the Playboy, Tramps and Sandpiper. Seriously, Huddersfield and Leicester. Most difficult opponent, the tax man. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest thrill playing against Bradford City in a practice match. He's got he's got a bit of personality, hasn't he? 
Yeah, loads of personalities. There's um, a story on Twitter as well from Arlie Byrne, who is one of our illustrators. He says he remembers Frank completely out of nowhere strolling up to me when I must have been about 10 and my dad in the park, interfering with our kickabouts to demonstrate over 10 minutes how to volley a football. His opening line as he strolled towards us was, do you know what it's like to score in front of thousands of people in the FA Cup? I'm a, I'm a kid, so no. no. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you. It comes to something when he says his biggest influence uh, on his career, the late Eric Worthington, which you assume to be his father, but then also Elvis. It says a lot about the man, doesn't it? I think that he'll certainly be remembered. And remember for that goal, which wasn't for Leeds, but it was. I remember growing up when you see clips of old goals, the one he scores where he, he's chipping it up on the edge of the box, then knocks it over all the defence and volleys it in. And it is, it is absolutely iconic, is that goal. International week this week, so no games to preview. No stress from the football, but it's quite a stress-free experience now since we beat Fulham. So, right, isn't it? Are you worried about San Marino? What, England? Mm. Are they still going, are they? Apparently so. I think I might have cared about this more had Bamford um, made it into the squad, and certainly Ailing. I think Ailing would have been even more of a romantic story than, than Patrick Bamford, just because he's that couple of years older and there's the whole... You know, Yeovil sort of um, swishing around in the lower leagues thing before his glorious ascent to being Premier League footballer. I think Southgate needs to sort of string him along for a while longer yet, doesn't he? He needs to give it the older, oh yeah, turn up to all his games, watch him, maybe phone him up, wink have it, a little chat with wink him. Wink at him from the stand, that sort of thing. And never pick him, just like he's done with Bamford, the prick. Southgate, the prick, I mean, not Bamford. Bamford's nice and deserves to play for England. Why? San Marino, who else we're playing? It's Albania and Poland. Okay, the Poland game, maybe, is a qualifier, isn't it? They're all qualifiers. But do we really need Harry Kane against San Marino? Have a look at Bamford. Get him in the squad. Put him and Ollie Watt. Make them race. Make them wrestle. How are you <laughs> going to choose between them if you only look at one? It makes no sense to me. And it, I, I feel like Southgate said, oh, you know, I, I can't take all the players that we, we'd want to call up. So, so leave... Harry Kane at home. You know everything about him. What more? What is Harry Kane going to prove if he rattles in seven goals against San Marino? Come on. Oh, Harry Kane's good, isn't he? Idiots. <laughs> it is a real shame for him. And I do hope his opportunity comes in, in the future. I mean, absolute credit to Bamford for the way that he's dealt with this because we can be petty about it, but he's been completely magnanimous and said, look, if you'd have told me, you know, 12 months ago at the start of the season, whatever, that I'd be in genuine England contention, I, I would have laughed at you. But here we are. And the fact that he's knocking on the door is a huge testament to the progress that he's made. Because I was mulling over this in the wake of his uh, of his uh, non-call-up. And I was thinking, isn't it just brilliant? I'm really proud of him. In that way that we were saying about loving all these players who've got us promoted. Bamford, I always thought I would love in a kind of perfectly imperfect way. He was part of that squad, but he always challenged me and my thinking towards him by thinking, oh, come on, just be that little bit better. And you know what? He's completely blown that out of the water. Whatever he's done, whatever reflections he's made, whatever changes to his game he's done over the last 12 months, or in the summer, actually. Brilliant. He's proved the haters wrong, people like us. Ah, we were never we, haters, though. No, we, we weren't. We, we just but, will, we willed him to be better, I think. But everybody did, didn't they, when he was taking those half second too long with the with the opportunities. One of the criticisms, for example, levelled at Tyler Roberts, actually, when we're asking him to make that step up and be better. Bamford has just completely done that. Just that speed of thought seems to be there now, and the level of... Of, of clinical finishing that is introduced into his game versus that sort of semi-ponderous, you know, you put a through ball to him, well, he'll run into the goalkeeper there or he'll take too long or an extra touch or whatever it might be. All gone from his game and brilliant. Huge credit to him. No one would have, uh, well, I'm saying no one, maybe someone will claim, but I don't think anyone would have expected him to have scored this many goals this season. So just call him up, Gareth, for Christ's sake and call Bill up as well because I feel like he's the, he's the England captain we need is Luke Ayling. He may well be the most wholesome footballer in the game, apart from Stuart Dallas, who are probably they're on, a, on a par, probably aren't they? I mean, look at look through the rest of that squad. There's no one as nice as Ailing, and then we, we've heard Chelsea fans talking about ben, ben Chilwell last week. Get him off the plane to start with. He's absolutely useless. I know he's a left back, but still, Connor Cody he's not that good. He just does good interviews now and then. Eric Dyer's terrible. Eric Dyer, he's the one. In fact, let's pick on him. A bad footballer playing for a terrible Spurs team. Get him out. He's no fun. Look at Eric Dyer's face. He's never even smiled. That's the other aspect, isn't it? Is Harry Kane better than Patrick Bamford on current form? I'm not so sure. Mm. <laughs> well, Mourinho's not getting the, the best out of any Spurs player, is he? No. So uh, there's almost an argument, if it, if it carries on like this way at Spurs, 
do you take Harry Kane to the Euros? Do you just go safer bet, Pat Pamford? Well, no, he does make a good point, does Michael, there. If they are picking players on merit, then some of these don't make sense. And Tyrone Mings has never been any good, has he? Get him out. Ailing can play centre-back. It's that um, contrast between Premier League and England squad, isn't it? Where you look at the Premier League and you think, oh, full of great players. England will have a great chance at the World Cup. And then you pick the best English ones and you go, oh, okay. Oh, Dean Henderson's in goal. Mm. (laughs) Great. Sheffield United's Dean Henderson. I can't get used to him playing for any other team apart from Sheffield United. May as well just put fucking Chris Wilder in charge, actually. His dream job. Blue passports all around for these boys. You got a red one, lads. Change it. Apply for a new one. We're not even leaving the country, um, Chris. Most of the games are on domestic soil. Don't care. Get rid of that passport. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Do we have any more to say about the internationals? Or are we done with them because it's hard to care when only Calvin is in there? I care because of Calvin. I will care for the bit that he plays. I mean, given Bamford at the end of the Fulham game was saying he was struggling to go as long as he did, it might be a good thing that he has a couple of weeks just to rest. Yeah, I mean, there is a there is truth in that, in that on a personal level, as much as I want him to get called up for England, I'd rather he stayed for us and was better for us. It's a bit the same with Cock and Rodrigo not being called up as well. You just think, good. Let them have a bit of time just to recover and spend some time with Adam Forshaw. Speaking of Forshaw, weeks, not months. Are we in that territory yet? Yeah, he has been knocking, sort of knocking around on the fringes, hasn't he? There have been uh, videos, I don't know if the deep fakes or not, of him uh, moving at Thorpe Arch, which surely must be a good thing. We've not seen him on a football pitch yet, have we? But we are led to believe he is training again. Like a new signing. He will be. And I, I mean, that would be the greatest comeback of all if he ends up being part of our team at any point. I don't think anyone is expecting it anymore. But what, What's he been out? Is it 18 months now? He's going to be getting on. I mean, he's, bear in mind, he's probably not going to play this year. I wouldn't have thought. He might get some under-23s games, but I think it'd be a surprise if he... Two seasons, if he gets If yeah. he gets in the team again this year. It's going to be more or less two years, yeah. Yeah, it was a year in October after the Charlton game. And he, he might be back for the next game, was the original prognosis of his injury, wasn't it? That he's going to struggle, but it's a, he's got a chance for the next game. And then a couple of years later, here we are. It's got to be a nightmare. That'd be awful. I feel very sorry for him. And every, every, all the indications are that he's a good bloke and everything to have around the training ground and he's very much getting on with all the shit that's been thrown at him. So especially I hope when, he does make it back. Especially when you can't pinpoint what it is. Like with Berardi's ACL, right, it's his cruciate ligament. You know what's wrong. You know what to do. You know what the programme is. Seems like half this time has been trying to work out what's wrong with Adam Forshaw. And Tyler Roberts had it as well with his... Um, he always... He gets this bad rep for his two years of glass legness, but that turned out to be that when they put a pin in his shin after they, he'd cracked it when just after we'd signed him, it got infected, but nobody realised it was infected for ages and there was the risk. Apparently this has happened to other players. There's a, there's a risk of the leg could be lost because this infection can take hold and nobody realised it as he kept breaking down in training and it took months for people to work out that's what the problem is. And then, right, okay, so we've got to go in, 
sort the infection out. I think he was like months on antibiotics, get the pin out that's causing the problem, find some other solution of, of sorting that injury. So it's dealing with you. And it just seems like you just want to play football and then, you know, you get people saying, well, he's not kicked on for the last two years. You, you know, we're going to chop his leg off at one point. And then for sure, the whole thing has been going over to the States and you think, right, that's, that'll finally sort it. But that was, well, I mean, that was at the start of lockdown, wasn't it? So that was a year ago that he went to America for the operation that was going to fix everything. Colorado. Still trying to get it sorted out. It would be really, really nice if you can come back just as he was. Because he was up to the Premier League when he was with Middlesbrough. And it would be, it would, you know, who needs Rodrigo de Paul when we can have Steady. a fit Adam Forshaw. But it's good to see him back. There's lots of jokes um, that we will indulge in because it is funny to talk about him never being seen again. But deep down, you do want him to, to sort this out. And if he does come back, he will be making his way back through the under-23s who will be playing in Premier League 1 next season, barring some sort of miracle or whatever the opposite of a miracle is. Is it a disaster? Even I am saying this is job done. We can't throw this All away right, now. Billy Davies, steady on. I mean, we're 13 points clear. It's fine. We've got three <laughs> games left to play. Stoke have got five. They're the only team that can catch us. If we win one or they lose one, it's done, isn't it? So... It's fine. We are going up. And uh, with with good reason, because it is a piece of piss, this league. Every time I watch the under-23s, they are so much better than the other the other team. It's ridiculous. It's amazing that, that like the symbiosis between the under-23s and our first team, it doesn't feel like any other or many other Premier League teams use the two in tandem in the way that we do. Yeah, you don't hear a lot about Aguero coming back to fitness, banging in goals in the under-23s, and yet we have Berardi's there looking... Very good, and Robin Cock playing as defensive midfielder, doing the Calvin Phillips role. Although I was interested when, um, why am I going to call him Paul Parker? Ben Parker was doing the commentary and was speculating whether that's to as much as to practice deputising for Calvin, but also to get him on the ball and give him um, more to do to get his fitness up than if he's playing centre back when you're kind of standing and watching and, and following a lot of the time. But looks absolutely fine. And then obviously the outrageously talented children. Gelhart being one of them, he's is he top scorer now? He is top scorer in the league. Two pens. He get he loves winning a pen as well. I don't did he win one of these? I'm not sure. He, yes, he did. He won the second one, didn't he? He wins a lot of penalties, scores a lot of penalties, and is generally very good. And it also featured a Sam Greenwood free kick, which is one of the best free kicks I think I've ever seen. Did you see Gelhart's face uh, in the wake of that when he was like, oh, like he did the the scream, didn't he? Like the oh my god! I mean, I will say with that free kick, the referee was a bit of a dick in this game. Generally, he seemed to be wanting to make it about him. And he did march the wall back 11 yards, which then prompted a West Brom player to march forward 10 yards to point out how wrong he'd got it. Just stuck to his guns, did the ref. He was like, nope, that's 10 yards in my mind. It's fine. They did look to be a long way back, which may Maybe his stride is 0.9 yards. The West Brom player marching forward to count out 10 yards from where the wall was was one of the funniest things. <laughs> it's worth the booking, wasn't it? Oh, it was great. I mean, the referee started booking him even before he'd got <laughs> all the way to 10 yards. And... The player was absolutely right. The wall was about 11, 12 yards away from the ball. And you could see that when he, he walked up. But So he's standing, saying, look. And he did a big, he kicked the ground to make a massive divot with the back of his heel to say, this is the mark. This is the mark. And there he's like, yellow card for that. And the, and the ball stays exactly where it is. And the wall stays where it was. And it was funny, the, the whole wall shenanigans, because the, the West Brom players, it, there was the white line and they just decided, well, we'll, we'll stand in front of it. Because you're wrong. <laughs> Referees in this league are a bit of a mixed bag, aren't they? It was the, Somerville basically got sent off the other week for something similar because his first booking was for pointing out to the referee that who was saying you need to get back further. He was saying, well, I'm in line with the wall and you've drawn a line for 10 yards for that. And that's all Somerville seemed to be saying to him and he got booked for that. And this is a similar thing of just a referee refusing to admit that it's he might al- be wrong. almost like teachers be, uh, like telling off naughty pupils, isn't it, at that level? Yeah, it's got a very, um, no, I'm in charge of this game sort of vibe to it. But we should probably talk about the actual free kick itself before I start my other thoughts from this match, which were about the, the motorway <laughs> bridge in the background, which I, I ended up Googling. Google Maps tells me it was the M5. And then if you go out of that ground, it's the, um, it's the Birmingham FA. And to the left, no, to the right, as you looked at the screen, was the sewage works. And in the other direction is a crematorium. So it's, and then there's the motorway on concrete. Christ, what on earth are you breathing in, playing there? <laughs> All it's, sorts. It's a hell of a venue. But 
I don't know, maybe the atmosphere helped with the, the way the ball moved for Greenwood's free kick <laughs> there. Got it back to back to football because it's a hell of a... What I mean, what did the ball do? It's hard to say. It eventually goes in off the post, doesn't it? The top corner of the post, more or less, is where it hits. It's I think it's more or less impossible to save the way he's hit it. It's right up in the postage stamp, as they describe it, yeah. He used to do this a lot, apparently, when he was at Sunderland. There was a Phil Hay article about him saying he used to be the first in and last out at training because he would stop him behind and practice his free kicks. So it works. And the wall was completely irrelevant in the end because he, he hit the ball about two or three feet over it minimum. So wherever it was going to be, it wouldn't have been a problem. And then it dipped. And did the ref go up to the, uh, to the gobby defender and say, see? <laughs> No matter what you might think, you are not too young to make a will. If you've got kids or you own a property, it's even more important. It's vitally important. Uh, And if you die without making a will and you're not married or in a civil partnership, then your partner won't inherit anything. Having a will in place means that you choose who inherits what. And if you have kids, you can decide who should take care of them and who should deal with their finances too. It's all about making sure that if the worst does happen, your family and loved ones will know what you wanted to happen. And a well-drafted will prevents difficult family conversations further down the line. And not to mention unnecessary taxes. Our partners on the podcast, Levi Solicitors, do recommend that even if you have a will already in place, you review it regularly, in particular after major life events such as marriage, divorce, buying a house, having kids and so on. Uh, Levi's will review your current will for no charge at all and let you know whether they recommend that you make any changes. And when you're making plans for 2021 and the future, consider making a will. It's a surprisingly quick process and Levi's can usually deal with everything by telephone, email and Skype or Zoom. As always, you get 10% off your legal fees with Levi's due to our partnership with them here on the podcast. Levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball to get in touch. That's Levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Heroes and villains then, please, from the last seven days. First, the Ken Bates villain of the week who has been doing bad by us this last uh, seven days. No Ken this week, thankfully. No, no Ken. Although another regular candidate in VAR. Several people uh, nominating this one. Tim, Robin is of the Luke Ayling celebration. Yeah, we didn't mention that on the match ball, actually. Uh, nor did we mention it in propaganda, actually. Uh, yeah, it was a good moment, wasn't it? And to be denied that is bollocks. Denied the England call-up. Denied getting his hair out. Well, we, we weren't denied it. It happened. We saw it. His hair came out. It's hollowed he played out, though, isn't it? No, it doesn't matter. Enjoy it. I think if goals are going to be ruled out in such an arbitrary manner, they should be celebrated in an equally arbitrary manner. So in the next game, regardless of whether the ball is in the back of the net or not, I want Luke Ayling to just whip the hair bobble out, go running over towards the stands, slide on his knees, air guitar, all the players pile on him because we want to throw in something, something incontrovertible that can't be overruled. Just celebrate that and then we all get to celebrate it and it can't be overturned. And you get, it happened, you get the footage, you get the fo- the photos of him with his hair hanging off. Still look as good as if the goal counted or not. The big smile on his face, everybody's happy. You don't have to worry about what happens next. The future, that will resolve itself. You always have the memories. It's trendy to trash Tyler Roberts and Jerry's doing it as well. Scumbag Jerry. Uh, he's nominating the shoulder of Tyler Roberts for denying us that memory. And Ian Rainsford nominated shoulders in general, which I mm. assume to be VAR related. But. <laughs> Something else. Maybe with, this is uh, moving on from Fulhamish's podcast that we're talking about in propaganda. It's just moving up the arms. We'll we'll talk about the shoulders eventually. We'll get to next. Yeah, the people that we're mentioning here are ones that give us uh, gave us feedback via our email plea uh, that goes out as part of our TSB Plus subscription Um Ralph wants to nominate Gareth Southgate, which obviously goes without saying for picking Watkins over Bamford because he does some stuff that he's made up. Well, it's not stuff that he's made up. It's just stuff that Bamford also does really well. So he presses well and makes runs in behind, which is exactly what Bamford's game is entirely based on. Do you know what Bamford does? He scores goals. Scores goals too? More than Ollie Watkins. It is a madness. We could dwell on it for a long time. He's picked the wrong one. And it's his fucking Aston Villa bias. That's what lies behind it. Who Who did I... Oh, I can't pick between these two players. Well, who did I play for? I love the Aston Villa one. No, I disagree with this nomination. Sam M uh, suggested we should put birds in the um, the villainy of the week lineup because that bird that shat on Phil Hay twice. If you've been following Phil Hay on Twitter, if you're not, it's riveting stuff. It, it is more, av- more, more av- mythological. Yeah, avian chat. 
Avian Shat, actually, on the on Phil. I don't know. Maybe this is what helped us to overcome the London curse. So I do say it's lucky. I had a coat for years, which I got when the Leeds played Real Madrid. I went over there without a ticket and had to queue on the morning outside the Bernabeu to, to get a ticket. And a bird shat on my coat that day. And because it, it shat on the, the arm pocket where the threads were, there was this little trace of it there for years. And I loved that coat because I could think, that's Real Madrid shit on this coat. Years later, when we were, bear in mind I keep clo- how long I keep clothes, we were probably in League One and I was still wearing a jacket with a bit of Galactico shit on. It's Clean true. it. Don't be daft. Well, I did try to clean it. I think it seemed, it seemed to have stained the thread. It came off the main bit of coat, but there was a little bit always oh, stay on the thread it would never come it never quite got rid of the whiteness I don't know if it bleached it in somehow it's almost traumatic true story you know Michael still goes to bed in his pyjamas that he had when he was nine his Superman ones it's true that Tony Yeboa ones uh, speaking of uh, sartorial choices Charles Thyroid Thyroid Charles Thyroid Thyroid whoever it is they're the people who have the contract for supplying the men's fashion for Fulham FC and by extension Scott Scotty Parker uh, they're the ones who've been sending him all these clothes um, that you see on the touchline, such as the Blardigan, which we haven't seen for a while. Yeah, Brooksy nominating them for giving him so many that he has to wear them all at once and ends up dressing like, uh, like Joey and friends. Can we nominate Daniel Farker? He's not doing anything wrong, has he? Well, he did mention us sort of in passing in his quotes about um, about not winning stuff. What did he say exactly? Even when we won the league, I did not win manager of the year. Leeds been title last year and Billis is nominated for manager of the world. Excellent. I mean, that was, just for the record, that was two weeks ago, but I think we forgot to put it in last week. So we're just doing that so you can do the accent. We'll see more of Farker next year, which is good because they're getting promoted. Maybe he'll be nominated for manager of the world this time around. I hope he is. I mean, Bielsa was also nominated for manager of, it was for the year, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, I don't think it was manager of the world for all time. And Farker was getting Norwich relegated when that was going around. So. Yeah, so it's possible that there were three people that season did a slightly better job than Daniel Farker and they got nominated for the FIFA's Coach of the Year award. Daniel can reconcile himself with the idea that he might have been fourth. Relegating Norwich and he might still go, no, good job, you're fourth but you're not, you don't get to well, go on the podium. Frank Lampard should have been on that list, shouldn't they? According to Matt Law of the... Chris Wilder as Chris well. Chris Wilder, of course. Fine achievements and Dean Smith for keeping Villa up by a point. Well, Dean so. Smith still has a job. So that's something in his favour for next year, maybe. KT wants to nominate London, despite the win. Not happy? I mean, it's still not a good place, is it? Burn it to the ground, apparently. That's what she wants. Well, not just that. Read the full thing. London, fuck you, you bastard. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. I mean, we've still not got a good record there, have we? So 100% record in the last one visit. That'll do for next year. Go on then, pick one. Choose your villain of the week. I know it's an easy choice, but I think they are for, for ruining Luke's week. He could have done with a pick-me-up after being snubbed by England and that goal would have been it for him but even that was taken away Should we give it to Gareth Southgate for ruining Luke's week in the first place and Pats at the same time? No, that's true. I feel like he's been a he's been a significant thorn in our side. And he lives in Harrogate doesn't he, does Gareth Southgate which is why he comes to a lot of our games but he showed his leanings back towards the West Midlands he's an imposter, he's not a Yorkshireman he doesn't care. Voss him out. Betty's need to be giving him a life ban from the premises I'll glass. soon make him change his mind. Put glass in his fat rascals. Don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, give it. Gary Southgate can have it. His pizza advert contributions were shite. The Andy Hughes Hero Award. Now then for somebody who's done some good for us in the last seven days. Now this is a curveball. We're starting off with a nomination for London, which has been described as a fine city. Uh, is, isn't it? Great place. Now we can win there. No problem with it at all. 100% record in the last one visit. There you go. There you go. Ralph does give us credit for this as well, which I think is... He's worth putting in there. because we, we don't need to explore that thought any further. You're right. <laughs> because I think he's he's misremembering it, though, because we normally go to London for the awards and don't win this year because it wasn't in London. We did win. So I'm not sure we can really claim it as, as a victory in London. It, it reinforces the curse, doesn't it? It does, because the FSA are based up in Sunderland, aren't they? So it's technically a Sunderland away win, is that one. And everyone wins at Sunderland, so that doesn't count for much. So I, I'm not giving it to London. Although credit to us still if we can claim some happy to take whatever we can get yeah feeding on scraps here Melier has had nominations from a variety of people Anthony Alistair Mike Parker as well love him I just love him every game there is a brilliant save and it's great to watch imagine you saying to him j'adore j'adore Ilian keepers and he would but he'd say it back to you and that's the important bit keeper and the um, not keeper I meant I love you he'd probably just say keeper 
that, the shouting, and then I know I talked about it on the match ball, but I've since seen a photograph. There's a brilliant photograph and I stuck it in my match report on the website of him controlling the ball on his chest at full time, just as just as the whistle's about to blow. And Pascal Stroik is looking at him like, don't do that. <laughs> because it's not even just like a mild chest trap. He's leaning all the way back with his arms It's like a limbo. It's a limbo dance, isn't it? So much can go wrong in that situation. Imagine it just spinning off him, hitting Pascal Stroik, rolling into the net. But it doesn't matter. No, Ilya had it because you saw that save that he did, you know, that one-handed save that spanned back towards the line. He knew what he was doing there, but just enough spin on it to make it bounce the right way away from the line when Bill cleared it. I think that's the crucial thing because the problem at Wolves was that Traore's shot hit the post and then hit Melier. If Melier had got a touch on it first, then hit the post, it would have gone to safety. He can, Once he's got the, the little touch on it, he can control it. Um, he just sells the two things he needs, touching it, before it hits the post, also before it's gone over the line, that's also that's the one. His one failing is uh, somebody was um, uh, did mention him at corners and crosses and said that they're, they're not keen on the way he comes rushing out. But I'm into it. I think even his bad punches, because there's the one that then came in with the the brilliant save that he made. At least he's getting something on them. And that I think there's um, the school of goalkeeper coaching that is like. Every punch doesn't have to be perfect. You've just got to divert the ball and stop it from doing what they want it to do. And then you've got a more of a chance than if you just stand and watch. As, uh, yeah, one of the other comments we had from listeners was Luke Ayling on their goal. All well and good celebrating non-existent goals, but mark somebody and stop them from <laughs> scoring. But I'm happy with Melier on, the, on this stuff. He's taking charge and he is so, so young. I mean, Ailing does get nominations here, yes. Um, Lee Brown, Josh and John all singling him out, mainly for, for hair reasons, yep. which is fine. How do you feel about that, Michael? I think he did very well. But I can't, I can't imagine how difficult it is to deal with that amount of volume. But yeah, John gives him credit for getting it back in a perfect bun before the restart of the game and then for it not being an issue. Maybe some sort of shampoo and conditioner product tie-in has been touted. We, it, might, we could even get on that hype. I think it's, he washes his hair the way you don't wash a coat. That's maybe the difference. That's why people like him. If that shit had gone in my hair, I probably would have kept it. I'd have been clinging to a comb over so I had some, still had some Real Madrid shit in it. <laughs> and moving on from Ailing to the other, England should have been called up or a Pat, don't listen to what Gareth says. He's a nasty man. I put this one in just because, don't worry, Pat. Don't worry, Pat. We still like you. Dragging his broken legs around that pitch, scoring a goal, setting up another, finally the give out. Don't know exactly what his, his injury is or was, but he's probably one of those where he could have done with not playing but played scored assisted a couple of weeks off for his efforts is there still time if an England player like gets hurt against San Marino we can come in for the next two yeah, games yeah you can be you can be drafted into the squad yeah that's what Southgate was getting at wasn't he like oh you haven't been quite good enough to make the cut this time but you never know you never know there Pat well done Kel- end, Kelvin getting, in training he'll end up getting a call up in uh, what September is, the, is that the next set of internationals like second week in September or something like that He'll get that call up when Southgate has been fired for the shambolic performance at Euro 2020. Well, I mean, Chris Wilder is not going to pick Pat no, Bamford for England, is he? It's that's the last true, thing that's yeah. going to happen. Victor Orta's been picked out by Nathan, uh, not just for this week, but for the entire season. And the kit designer, because he, he wants to nominate whoever designed the third kit. Orta for giving his Rafinha in first place, and then whoever designed the kit for turning Rafinha into Pele every time he plays in it. I'm never going to love the maroon kit, I've got to be honest. I tolerate it, it's fine. But We're building some decent memories in it though, aren't we? Um, That's the thing with kits. He's like the, You think back to like the white and Mackay shirts, nothing good ever happened in those shirts, so you can't really ever consider them to be even vaguely decent, whereas there's, there's good stuff that's happened in this, in this maroon shirt. He scored his goal against Everton in it, didn't he? He scored this one. Has he scored more? He probably has, hasn't he? The green and blue's better though, isn't it? Yeah, by a mile. Yeah. yeah. Even the um, the white sponsor logo, I've gradually come to appreciate the way that pops. Just looking down the fixtures, are we going to wear the maroon kit again? Man City will wear it out, we'll win there. Uh, Brighton will wear it out, we'll win there. That's it, I think, isn't it? Two more outings for the maroon kit before it gets replaced. We might keep it next season. Yes. You don't get much value from your away kits these, these days, do you? Let's tidy up the other nominations then. I mean, Jerry throw, throws Dallas and Bamford in together. Dallas being consistent. Bamford, one goal, one assist. Headed clearances all on one leg. Yeah, I do love Stuart Dallas. Um, Tyler Roberts gets a nomination, actually, from Ronan Leach. 
can't catch a break, but he's still playing well and affecting every game in a positive way. It's not his fault he can't control his shoulders. I mean, <laughs> he was old one anyway, wasn't he? After he had his own goals ruled out. Not ruining his own, ruining his, his stats though, isn't it? His assists and his his goals. It's completely completely knocked off his what would probably be viewed on paper as being a quite decent season. And I made this point after the West Ham game. Was it Ben Rama who just kind of mishit a shot across the box and then the player at the back post controlled it and put it in? But he gets an assist for that. Mm. Does and he really? It, yeah, and it was, bollocks, it's a it? complete lie, but it will always be there. Just, and he's go, oh, well, look how many assists he got. Whereas Tyler Roberts is honestly set up and scored these goals. and Not like dishonest Ben Rama. And hasn't been allowed to put any of them down on his uh, his stats that just to help his argument. And even, you know, there is, it's funny. I mean, the whole, the whole stats thing is another debate, but when um, baseball has like a huge part of it is deciding what happened in the game, like how you classify everything. It's like it's a whole other industry of people debating whether what column it should go in and how it should be. But it, it matters because those are then the figures that you go to another club and you say, well, last year I got three goals and four assists. And you say, oh, right, well, you, you're somebody worth looking at. But if you can't take that, if you, well, I got these, but they were ruled out by VAR. They're like, well, they, they didn't count. We don't want you. And did now you, did, did you have uh, wild shoulders? Tyler Roberts. Renegade shoulders. Unemployed, unwanted, all because, I mean, that's the, the aspect of VAR that nobody predicted would be Tyler Shoulders. He might have to become a referee just so that he has a future in the game. Then he'll take his revenge and he'll be like having Spider-Man as a referee. He was bit by a radioactive referee as a 22-year-old and then came back. I mean, Spider-Man wasn't taking revenge on Gotham City, was he? He was saving it. But I think that might be. So it's a villain story. Who was the villain in Spider-Man? Lots of them, I think, wasn't there? Yeah, so it would be one of the the baddies, but they might have to change the referee's kit to have more lycra. Okay. Um, Joe Gelhart gets a nomination as well for uh, being top scorer in the uh, the Kids League and Gerald Krasner, remember him? By extension for the knockdown price, working for Begby trainers he works for and flogged little Joe to us for a million quid or something. Wigan fans were annoyed about this at the time and I can see why. But maybe we're the heroes here because that money helped keep Wigan afloat. They wouldn't have a football club to go and eat their pie sandwiches at if I it wasn't for us. did see a tweet over the weekend, something about one of the insolvency practitioners who is looking after, I use the term reservedly air quotes and all that, uh, looking after Wigan on something like, I think it's £350 an hour or something to that effect. It's a lot of money, that. He said that they should build a statue to him outside the ground because of the, the work that they'd done. I mean, administration, insolvency practitioners are expensive and I think that's one of the one of the reasons why you try to avoid going into administration because you end up giving all the money to somebody like them to, to sort it out. I mean, they built a statue of Michael Jackson outside Craven Cottage, so why not? And Anyone gets one these days, don't they? It's not there anymore, though, is it? Gifted to the National Football Museum, who then... Gifted it to the bin? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but showed it for a while just so Alfired would shut up. And no, then... Gifted it to the Thames, and it goes... <laughs> Well, the foot, uh, it would be the Manchester Canal, wouldn't it? Ship Canal. Of course it so was. It's probably blocking urgent barges on the way to Coronation Street. Hero of the week, go on. I feel like Pat needs a lift. From his mum and dad. That was what Sean Dyche was angry about at Burnley. Who brought you? My mum and dad. Says everything. Now, fresh out that goal, assist, and playing on through injury. What more could he do to get an England call-up? But it's never going to be enough for Gareth, is it? It's not, but let's concentrate on the positives, and that is Pat Bamford is a hero. So well done, Pat. And that wraps up this one then. Check out TSB Plus, our all-in-one subscription package, full digital access to the mag. You get a daily email, early access to the match ball, plus access to our subscriber-only pod. The Extra Ball, details at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. We'll see you next time. The Square Ball Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 